0: Okay, how many were here on Sunday? So we're going to do some review, see if you guys were paying attention. You ready? There are four places where John the Apostle here in first John, reveals why he wrote. Well, I should say why the Holy Spirit wrote through him this book. You guys ready? First John chapter one, verse four there 's your first reason, and these things we write to you that your joy may be filled or may be full. Anybody here want to be filled with joy, okay, Good, then read this, there you go <laughs> chapter two, verse one says, "My little children, these things I write to you, so here we go again, very explicit. So that you may not sin. Anybody here want to be freed from sin? Okay. Not that you're ever going to be sinless this side of heaven. But as we said Sunday, you sure can sin less. If you'd like to be free from that besetting obstinate sin in your life, then read this book. There you go. Chapter 2, verse 26. He says, these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Anybody here for yourself or for your neighbors? Maybe the people that you love, you want to be able to fend off deception. Anyone protect yourself, your family from cults, religious deceivers, wolves in sheep's clothing. Anyone? Okay. Read this book. Then finally, chapter five, verse 13. These are the four explicit places where Paul or excuse me, uh, John write the purposes for this book these things i have written to you who believe in the name of the son of god that you may know that you have eternal life not that you may guess or kind of hope but that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of god anybody here want firm assurance of your salvation and a fruitful life that will follow okay we pointed out on Sunday, this book was written probably at least 50 years after Jesus walked the earth. And in 50 years, a lot of your Christian excitement can cool, right? Anyone want to have that firm assurance that leads to that fruitful life? Once again, read this book. There you go. So, and we also talked about the fact that you can read this book in 14 minutes Um you may want to spend more time on that. But even if you just do a cursory reading or let the guy on the blue letter Bible read it to you, 14 minutes. So we're going to challenge you guys every week just to read through this book uh, once a week at least. And um, I believe that because, again, the the Bible says that the Lord says of his own word that it won't return to him, void, that he's going to actually do the things that he's promised to do. So right here you have four things, four reasons that it was written. So. <clears throat> Tonight, though, we're going to begin verse one, cover verses one through four. Tonight, we're going to uncover the theme, I think, of the book. I mean, we've got four stated purposes, but there's a theme that ties them all together. And um, we're also going to look at, I think, really two two especially of these four things. Um, the first and third specifically, we're going to see that... Uh, John's purpose in, in writing this book right off the bat, he's going to go after those who are trying to uh, be deceivers. He's going to be trying to fend off deception. And I believe in the process, as we go through uh, verses one through four, we're going to see how to be filled with joy. OK, you guys ready? John starting out now right off the bat. Very interesting. No, no uh, niceties at the beginning of this letter. You notice he doesn't say to the church at so-and-so, blessed be, right? Any of that stuff. He goes right into uh, this defending off the deception. There are these people called the Gnostics. How many of you guys have heard of them already? Okay. The Gnostics were heretics. Uh, they, They were a group of wolves in sheep's clothing. And you guys know whenever you see wolves in sheep's clothing, that's bad. Right. Gnosticism, it comes from the word gnosis. It means to know. The Gnostics claim to have special secret knowledge. They would tell you, well, you know, you guys who just believe in the Bible, that's that's fine and all. But we have special knowledge that you can't find in the Bible. And we can, uh, you know, when you grow up, you can be smart like us. The Gnostics. One of John's main purposes, again, chapter two, verse 26, that we just looked at is to fend off the deception specifically of these Gnostics. Now, let's get into the, what the Gnostics believe a little bit here. One of the things that the Gnostics believed was that all matter, anything that you could touch or feel or taste or any of that stuff, is evil. That was just what they believed. Anything that you could touch that belonged to this world is evil. So they reasoned then, well, Christ did not come in the flesh. I mean, he came, but he didn't come with a physical body that you could touch, because if, if he did, that would be evil. So they would say, you know, we, we believe that Christ came, just not in the flesh. Matter of fact, apparently the Gnostics even had these stories that they would circulate. One of them was that if you were to walk down the, the uh, beach with Jesus and look behind you, you would only see your footprints. You wouldn't see his uh, kind of destroys that whole footprints in the sand picture, Right where he carried me. No, actually, he just, you know, floated above the ground. That was part of their thing that they just decided they were going to add to, uh, the, uh, the stories of Jesus. Um, another thing apparently that they did was they would say, now there's no one really saw him eat. He didn't really need to eat. So, I mean, basically what they were painting him as was a phantom of some kind, some kind of, uh, energy, some kind of force. Um, and some some branches of the Gnosticism uh said that the spirit of Christ came upon this man Jesus at baptism right when the holy spirit um when the dove came upon right but that it left this spirit left Jesus at the crucifixion now this was all so that they c- would it would fit into their belief system that matter is evil now perhaps you say so what i mean So what if they wanted to believe that Christ did not come in a physical, touchable body? Is it really that big a deal? Well, this is a great, I think, great case study. Proof of this truth, which is this. What you believe matters because it leads to what you do. What you believe always leads to what you practice. Let me give you an example. If you believe that we were evolved from primordial soup that there is no creator if you follow that thinking through to its logical end you come to the same conclusion that Hitler did that genocide is not murder you're just cleaning up the gene pool a bit, right if you believe in survival of the fittest then if you're just killing off the weak you're kind of doing mankind a a favor see what you believe matters because it leads to what you do and for the Gnostics it went one of two ways some of the Gnostics because of what they believed were very very strict they practiced what is called asceticism but then some of the Gnostics were Way on the other side, they were very liberal. Let's let's talk about the first ones first. The very strict. uh, They would practice this asceticism that would basically self-denial, extreme forms of legalism, self-abuse. They would actually beat themselves. They would beat the wicked body, the flesh, into submission. Fun guys to be around. (laughs) But then others would take that same principle, say, well, if the body is evil... You really can't do much else to make it worse. So just go for it. Do whatever you want. Epicure, epicureanism. Excuse me. Right. Their philosophy was live it up. Look, you only live once and then you die. Look out for number one. Get high, get stoned, be promiscuous. How many of you guys lived through the 80s music scene? You guys know that uh, theologian Prince? <laughs> right. They say it's. 2000, it's all over. So tonight I'm going to party like it's 1999. That was it, right? Pinned by that great theologian, the artist formerly known as a symbol, formerly known as the artist formerly known as Prince. Basically, look, you can't make it any worse. I mean, it's just your physical body. You're kind of sort of attached to it, but you're not really. So just do what you want. Now, these guys actually probably, depending on your point of view, were fun to be around for a while. Sin is always fun at first, right? The Bible even says it. It's fun for a while, but then the wages of sin is death. Payday is not so much fun. Amen. So the practice of these two of these uh, two versions of Gnosticism all started out though with this idea that Jesus came to earth, but that the the Son of God came to earth, but not in the flesh. And the attacks upon Jesus have always come pretty much in those two varieties right meaning the attacks come upon him in his deity some people say well he was not really god but then others say like these gnostics well it's really his humanity that we're attacking that he was not really man but the bible teaches very very clearly he was fully god and fully man 100 percent god and at the same time hard to get your head around But one hundred percent man. See, the Gnostics said, look, he was fully God, but not fully man. I mean, he was a spirit. He was a phantom. He wasn't didn't really have a physical body. They said Jesus came to earth, but not in the flesh. Okay. in response to that heresy, John, the apostle here, chapter one, verse one, comes out swinging. (laughs) Look at it. He's speaking of Jesus. We're going to see that. He says right off the bat, chapter one, verse one, that which was from the beginning, Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. You guys, what does a witness do? Witness does pretty much two things. They see, they experience, right? And then they say. Um, Have you guys noticed in these first couple of verses, the first few verses, how many witness type words are in here? Again, he doesn't he doesn't say we greet you that the churches in the diaspora or we, we greet you specifically any of that stuff. He goes right into it. He gets right to the saying, look, we saw him with our own eyes. We experienced this man. You guys want to participate tonight? Yay. This time, let's read it again. And I'm going to stop and I'm going to let you guys read all of the words or phrases that are witness type words. OK, that, that show that Jesus came in the flesh. All right. Here we go. Chapter one, verse one. When I stop, you guys just read the next word or, or phrase that which was from the beginning, which we have. Which we have with our own eyes. Right. Which we have. And our have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested and we have seen and we and declared to you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and earth. we declare to you. OK, OK, John, I get it. It's Ten times in three verses, you guys. Right off the box, do you hear his plea? He's saying. Without any niceties right off the top saying, look, I saw the guy. I was I was one of 12 guys who lived night and day with him. We've heard him. We've seen him. We've studied him. Our hands have handled him. We see this in these first three verses very plainly, I think. The fact that Jesus was a real historical figure who had a real physical body let's look at it first one that which was from the beginning which we have heard that word is aku it's where we the place we get the word acoustics meaning they heard it heard him with their own ears then he says we've seen with our eyes that word is ophthalmos same place we get ophthalmology we've seen him with our own eyes then this is really interesting he says we've looked upon that's theomai it's the same place we get the word theater what do you do when you walk into a theater you sit and you stare, and you study, and you just soak it all in. It says, Look, we studied the guy, we feasted our eyes upon him, we watched we we watched every single thing he did. And then it says, And our hands have handled. Reminds me of a couple of verses in particular, some of them we've seen recently. Luke twenty four, verse thirty nine, remember when Jesus appeared? To the uh, to the 12 in in the uh, upper room after his resurrection, behold, my hands and feet, that it is I myself. He says, handle me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones. As you see, I have. And then John, chapter 20, verse 27, when Thomas wouldn't believe. Remember, he said here, put your finger right here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand in here. Put it into my side. That's not stuff that phantoms do right a phantom can't i mean it would be like okay try this it doesn't work see this was no phantom no force no figment of our minds that's what john's whole point is this was flesh and blood skin and bones muscle sinew a real life person who lived in real history and died on a cross and rose again See, that is John's overarching point. I think that's his passion in these three verses. Maybe that's what you need to hear tonight. That you need to be reminded of. Y'all, Jesus is not a, a legend. He's not like a Greek god, a myth, a fable. Matter of fact... Peter said, second Peter, chapter one, verse 16, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Matter of fact, every single one of the apostles besides John, he's the only exception. Every single one of them died brutal martyrs deaths. Because they held on to their their claim. That Jesus came in, in real physical form and that he died and rose again. That's not something that you do just for a guy who was kind of a clever teacher. He was a real life person, 100% man. So then we're like, okay, well, that's good, interesting, but so what if he's just a man? Well, what if he's also God? You guys want to participate again? This time, let's read through the same text. I'm going to let you guys read now the words that indicate, that point to his, uh, I don't know if this is the word, eternality. The fact that he really is God. Okay? When I pause, you guys read the next phrase. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the? The Then it says the life was? And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, eternal life which was with the father and was manifested, manifested to us. That which we have seen and, we, and heard, we declare to you. Here's the thing right there. One, two, three, four, five different times in different ways. John, the apostle, speaks of these eternal concepts that he's also tying in with Jesus. Let's look at it from uh, verse one. It says that which was from the beginning. Now, that is obviously an eternal concept. This you guys know that the Lord has made us in one sense eternal, meaning we will have no end. We're going to spend a lot of time in one of two places. Right. But Jesus is eternal in a completely different way. We have no end in store you can go back as far as you possibly can, and he has no beginning. Um, the concept is like the vanishing point. You guys know, I think it was sailors. They, they would say, okay, look out there as far as you can go. See where it like, looks like the world drops off the end of the earth, right? You can't see anything past it. The vanishing point. John is, is basically saying, look, you can look as far back as you can into history. I think it was uh, J. Vernon McGee said, you can look back squillions of years. <laughs> You can look as far back as you possibly can. And what you'll see is Jesus writing from the other direction. Like he's been there all along, right? John chapter one, verse one. You guys know it. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. I don't know if you guys know, but there's a really interesting verse in Micah chapter five, verse two. Listen to this prophecy. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel. Speaking of Jesus, then it says who's going forth are from old, from everlasting ideas. When you look at Micah five two, it's talking about this person who's going to come, even though they're going to be born there in Bethlehem, they're going to be coming from way, way further back than that. Okay, so eternal concept from the beginning, uh, verse one, that that which was from the beginning. But then look now at the end of verse one, where it says concerning the word of life. The Greeks, some of you guys know this, the Greeks had this concept. um, I guess they weren't as foolish as we are. Um, Nowadays, if you talk about the idea of intelligent design, that there's actually someone who planned it, planned it all, um, you're mocked. But. Back back in this day, the Greeks at least agreed that there was this thing, this force, not sure what to call it, but there's this thing that kind of keeps everything spinning. There's this God or force or whatever it might be that keeps everything in line, and they called that logos, the word. You see what John is saying here at the end of verse one. Look, I've met. Logos. If you want to call this force or whatever, I'm telling you, Logos has a face and hands and a name. And it's Jesus. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Then it says the life was manifested and we have seen again. You guys know my favorite illustration manifesting. Want to see it again? Yeah. I love it because it always works. OK, manifest means to to bring into view that which is already there. Say, OK, so let, let me illustrate this Bible. Is manifest right now, right? But I put it down here. It still exists. You just can't see it. OK, manifest, not manifest. Let's see it again. Manifest, not manifest. OK, look at verse two. That life was manifested. You see what that's saying? He's not saying that that life came into being in Bethlehem. He's saying, look, this invisible thing that you guys call the logos showed himself, manifested himself. That life was manifested. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you. Now, look at this, that eternal life, which was with the father. What's that remind you of? Again, John chapter one, verses one and two in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. See, John saying the exact same thing that he was saying at the beginning of his gospel. He's talking about this eternal being. That as far back as you can possibly look, you can't see his beginning, but he's he's coming toward you, he says, and then. Uh, At the uh, beginning uh, or at the end of chapter or verse 2. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. There it is again. You guys want to see it again? No? Okay. So, put these things together. Jesus is, according to John the Apostle, an eyewitness. He is from the beginning, He's the Word of Life, this Logos. When he appeared in Bethlehem, he was not created. No, he just manifested. And he is described as that eternal life which was with the Father. Those are pretty much God qualities. So think about now in verses 1 through 3, what you have. Verses 1 through 3, you have multiple words pointing to Jesus' deity. And they are intermingled with John saying over and over again, almost in disbelief, like, we heard him. We saw him. We studied him. We handled God. It's amazing, really, when you start to put put all that together. There is one, John says, when you look back to the vanishing point of history, comes from farther back than you can wrap your head around. And yet he came in a physical, fleshly body. And John probably still, 50 years later, pinching himself going, we hung out with God in the flesh. We had fellowship with God. Now, John, why are you telling us all this? Well, we see it there in the rest of verse three. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. Why? That you also may have fellowship with us. That word fellowship, you guys know it probably, koinonia. It means to have things in common, to share. We we use the word fellowship and we instantly think food, right? And we probably water down the word when we we say, well, let's get together and just kind of hang out a little bit around food. What it means is, probably the best way to, remind ourselves of that is Acts chapter two, when it says the uh, the disciples had all things together. They experienced everything together. They shared their food, their uh, the place they lived, all that stuff. Um, Joe Foch, the, the pastor in Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, had a great thing that helps me get it. He said a word that probably would describe this idea of koinonia It's it's really hard to define but we know the application of it cahoots cahoots it's kind of hard to define what's a cahoot but we know the application of it right which is to to be in if you were look at it negatively in conspiracy with to 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 be in cahoots with each other and with Jesus. So. John says, look, the reason I'm telling you this is that you can be in cahoots with us. Let me ask you this. Do you ever feel like as you're reading through a little bit jealous, maybe of John or Peter or any of those guys you ever feel like the apostles? They were in the ultimate exclusive club. Like, oh, man, I, I wish I could have walked with I could have heard, I could have seen, I could have studied, I could have handled Jesus. I wish I could have laughed with Jesus. Do you ever wish that you were born at that time and in that place and could somehow join the ultra elite club with Jesus? Do you see here in verse 3, John is inviting you to that club. The whole message here is you can, we can have a relationship with the real Jesus that's every bit as real as John's. And do you notice that where it says, uh, it says, koinon, uh, the koinonia that we have, it says, uh, we have it with each other, but it's based upon, as the end of verse 3, it's based upon our mutual relationship with the Father and, and the Son. Because, see, the end of verse 3, it says, And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Again, the the fellowship that John's talking about here that gives joy, and that's where we're headed, by the way, next verse, is not based upon food or fun or friends. Probably the best word you could think of is based upon family. The fellowship that he's talking about is the fact that you and I are both in the family of God. We can have koinonia because we both experience the same grace, forgiveness, the incredible benefits of a relationship with God. And he says in verse four, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. You guys remember from Sunday, the word full there, what's it mean? It's play It means filled to the brim. Like, again, picture a glass filled surface tension. It's like you can't hold possibly hold anymore. John, the writer And the Holy Spirit, through him, wants us, apparently, to be filled with joy to the brim. So how do you do it? How can you be filled with joy? What's the secret? What's the theme of this whole book? It's fellowship with the Father through Jesus. Fellowship with Jesus. Fellowship with other believers. Here's how you can be filled with joy. Fellowship with Jesus and his father. Have an intimate relationship. Uh, Have Koinonia uh, be in cahoots with the same eternal God that John handled and touched. Have a real relationship with a real God who cared enough to leave heaven to live and die on this ball of dirt so that you could leave this ball of dirt and live with him in heaven. How do you have joy? It's truly all about fellowship with Jesus. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Matter of fact, what did Jesus say in John chapter 15? Just a few weeks back. He says, Abide in me and I in you. And I've told you this, this whole concept of abiding, being close to me, being connected with me. That your joy may be full. The whole trick about having joy. And if you weren't here on Sunday, there's a huge difference between happiness and joy. Happiness depends upon happenings. Joy does not. Joy is steady because the relationship that he offers us is steady. Right. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's willing to abide with us. And we, as we abide in him, we find this joy. How to be filled with joy? Fellowship with Jesus and his father. But number two, fellowship with Jesus, his father, and also his family. That's us. Sorry, you're stuck with us. If you want to have joy, you're going to have to fellowship with the family of God. How do you do that? Well be real with each other right pray for each other ask each other for prayer again a real quick way to lose your joy or to have your joy stolen is to be convinced by the enemy that you're alone right just like any good hunter um he's seeking whom he may devour how what how does a a lion or a wolf or whatever how do they what do they do to try to kill you they separate you from the rest of the flock they're going to try to kill you The enemy wants you to think that you're alone. But if you want to have joy fulfilled, be here, be be somewhere where there are believers who can pray with you and for you. One more thing about uh, having joy. Anyone here have a new living translation or NIV? Anybody? Oh, what you got? What's that? Uh, can you read verse four? Nice and loud. We write this to make our joy gotcha. Yeah. Notice that in, in uh, some of the translations, verse four reads, and these things we uh, share with you or write with you, that our joy may be full. Some of them say that your joy may be full. Some of them say that our joy. It's like, hmm, I wonder which it means. Well, it occurred to me, it doesn't matter. <laughs> because. John wants us to know this so we can experience the same joy that he already has. Um, Let me put it this way. If I if I find the coolest thing since sliced bread. And I'm excited and I share it with you. Both once you hear about it, both you and I are going to be excited, aren't we? We're both going to be filled with joy. So it seems to me, John is either saying, look, I'm saying this, that your joy might be full or that my joy might be full. But either way, it's going to happen. What's what's my point? Well, when you're pondering on how to get filled with joy. Here's your things to think about. There's joy in a relationship with a real God. There's joy in the relationship with God's people. But here's what I'm thinking. If If you read his version of chapter of verse four. Don't forget that there's joy in bringing people into a relationship with a real living God. Could it be that John's saying, look, I'm telling you this because I can't I can't hold it anymore. And this is going to give me more joy as I share this wonderful information about this God who came to live and that I was able to touch and to handle. All right. You guys want to close with some more audience participation? Yay. Um. This might be a little tricky. This the most, the trickiest I've ever, we've ever done it. All right. Let's say, um, which one of you guys wants, which which half of you wants to uh, read the physical, historical attributes of Jesus? My left half. <laughs> All right. Over here, you guys are going to read the the physical historical parts, okay? That we find in these verses. Over here, you guys are going to read the eternal God kind of words, okay? And it's going to be tricky. Because I'm going to just stop and see which one of you guys are paying attention. Here we go. That which was. Which we have. Which we have. <laughs> with our eyes. Which we have. And are. Concerning the. The life was. And we have. And. And declare to you. Sorry. That which was with the Father and was to us. Okay? I don't know. That 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 didn't work so good. What I figured we'd have is read a word, read a few words, or vice versa, right? Read a word, read a few words. Right? Again, this constant intermingling where John is basically saying Look, there's a person who rode in from beyond the vanishing point. Eternity past. The word of life, the logos, he was manifested and that eternal life that was in the father. And yet it's amazing to me, he says, we have seen him with our own eyes. We heard him with our own ears. We have touched him. All of these things, he says, we've studied him. I wonder sometimes if John, you know, as they were sitting around the campfire, Jesus was sleeping. It's like studying him. It's like, this is God. And why did he share this with us? Verse 3 That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have that same fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. What this means, guys, is that no matter. If your car dies on you on the way home and you get soaking wet. That you don't have to have your happiness. your You don't have to have your apple cart upset. That the joy that he promises you is right here because of the relationship that we have. Amazingly, that we have this wonderful relationship available to us from the living God. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy. Your goodness. Thank you for this privilege. I don't know if I if I've been able to express it. This wonderful privilege that we really do have. That you are a living God. That you humbled yourself, Lord. You became a man. That's quite a step down for our sakes. You made yourself vulnerable. You made yourself available that we could have this wonderful relationship with you. Lord, forgive us for all the times that we take it for granted. Help us, Lord, to apply your word now the way that you'd like us to tonight. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.